Welcome to Mile High Magazine. Mile High Magazine takes a look at the issues and people shaping events in Colorado. Presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. Here's your host, Murphy Houston. And good morning to all and welcome in. It's another edition of Mile High Magazine and I'm Murphy Houston. And we always like to bring some friends in from the community to talk about what they're doing to help people in the community. And today's no exception. Today, uh, my friend Frank Griggs is in. Frank is an eight-year U.S. Marine Corps veteran. He served two tours of duty in Vietnam. He's a Purple Heart Medal recipient. He's also a certified advanced canine training professional and a certified canine training and behavior specialist. Frank is the founder and CEO of Veterans Puppy for Life Organization, an organization that places puppies with U.S. Armed Forces veterans living with post-traumatic stress disorder, which we hear a lot of. And Frank is uh, making his effort to help out. Frank, good to have you in. Thanks, Murphy. Glad to be here. You uh, I've got quite a tale of your own, and we need to talk a little bit about the, we have before, Veterans Puppy for Life Organization. How did you get involved? How did you start this whole thing? Well, it started in uh, Military Order of the Purple Heart, Chapter 1041, named after Danny Dietz, the Navy SEAL. Sure. We started this in 2014. We decided that we would place a trained dog with a veteran living with PTSD. A trained dog can be upwards to $30,000, and so we started looking for an alternative, and the alternative was to place a puppy with a veteran and pay for the puppy, pay for the training, and pay for veterinary health care assistance. Now, Bo down here on the floor with us here is... Uh, a good-looking Bo, too, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I purchased him. He was the very first dog, so I purchased him and paid for all his training because I wanted to make sure that we did things the right way. And then that was in April of 2015. In May of 2015, the chapter placed the second dog with a veteran. And since then, in June of 2016, we became a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And just this last Sunday at the DU Pioneer soccer game, we graduated our 31st dog. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a lot of progress in a few short years. It is. Yeah. It is. Let me back up a little bit here, Frank. Okay. Um you also have PTSD. Didn't yes, you suffer that? Two tours in Vietnam? Yes, sir. I mean, that's kind of my era as well. And have you helped yourself? I have. I have. It's tremendously beneficial for me because it it allows me to um, know that I have a purpose in life. I lived with PTSD for a long, long time before I realized that I really had it. I just thought that's the way life was supposed to be. Well, back then, that wasn't a big deal. People thought that. Well, you'll get over it. It'll be okay. Well, you know, in World War I, it was um, shell shock. and uh, Same stuff. Exactly the same thing. It's always been there. And, you know, it's not only just veterans that can get post-traumatic stress disorder. Anybody can. It's caused by basically... Something that you see or you take part in that's so horrific that you just can't, you're not able to unsee it anymore. And so it just remains there in your mind. And if you don't get treatment, then it just causes destructive behaviors in most cases. So are you telling me that firefighters, policemen, they can also suffer from the same thing? Absolutely. You never hear that conversation, though. At least I never hear it. No, you don't. And they do. Um, It's unfortunate because, yes, they do. And I wish that we had the ability to expand even to that arena as well, uh, yeah, one, maybe in the future. I would say one step at a time, Exactly. Frank. So your motto is helping to heal wounded souls one puppy at a time. 
And the wounded soul you speak of is obviously a veteran living with post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD, as we were talking about. For those who might not understand, explain what it is, what what it does to a person. And you mentioned kind of just alluded to yeah. that something traumatic happened to, but it's probably a little more than that. Well, it really is. It's usually... And in the case of veterans, it's normally it's combat related in most cases, um, and we focus on veterans. The trauma is caused by a combat situation or traumatic brain injury. Um, concussion can cause the same thing. You know, concussion is going to be in a combat situation in most cases anyway. Um, what happens is is that it becomes a very destructive nature with the individual. They be, they become isolationists. They they stay away from people completely. They have anger issues in most cases. There's usually addiction is involved as well. Um, any number of things. They have night terrors, um, not only night terrors, but they have intrusive thoughts. Um, they become very hypervigilant, so they always are watching their back because they're always afraid that something's coming on them. Well, that life they lived, they probably had to think about that all the time. They did. Be aware around you at all times. Wasn't exactly. that the, the way it was kind of taught? It's exactly. Yeah. Well, so now you've got these veterans with these issues, and you place a puppy with a veteran. And you mentioned earlier, not just already a trained dog. Here's a trained dog. Good luck. Why a puppy? Well, we know that dogs like horses, you know, can read people very well. Um, We found out that, you know, they're very empathetic, and we know that horses are very empathetic. That's why you see so many horse programs for PTSD and therapy horses because they they are so empathetic and they can read people just like and dogs are very good at it too dogs are extremely good at reading body language but with a puppy what we're trying to do is take the basic instinct of the bonding process between the veteran and the puppy so placing the puppy with the veteran at a young age they grow together and they learn together and so by the end of that time of our training the dog has grown to the point that it knows any situational change that's going to take place in that veteran. And they can tell not only through body language, but also through scent. Um, when we have stress or when we're getting angry or whatever, our chemical body, our body chemical changes uh, take place. And the dog can pick that up because they smell 100,000 times better than what we smell. Oh, that's interesting. So they kind of, as you said, grow together. And so what what does the dog do for the veteran? What What is the positive reaction that the veteran gets with being with these puppies? Well, there's a lot of things that are, you know, really beneficial, Murphy. Um, One of the things is that, you know, as I said, they're usually inside themselves. PTSD is called the invisible wound. And so a lot of these guys and and ladies, we have female veterans as well, but they're inside themselves and that's where all their thoughts are and everything else. So the puppy is what it's going to do is help them focus on something else other than themselves. So here they are, they've got PTSD, they're inside themselves and all of a sudden they're forced to start focusing on this little puppy. And so it starts taking them out of themselves. And so they really have to focus on that puppy. Well, that's a good thing. It is. It really is because now they have to start looking at something else other than themselves. And we require them to be the caregiver. They can't pass that off on their their mate or their spouse or anybody else. They have to do everything. And we tell the spouse or the mate that that's the situation. They have to feed them. They have to clean up after them. They have to go through training with them? Do they exactly. train together as yes. well, don't they? Yes. And what the other one of the other reasons, Murphy, is that why this is so important is because what we do 
is we require uh, a service dog has to be highly socialized because I don't I'm sure you've been in places where you might have seen a dog barking or growling at somebody or some sure. situation oh, like yeah, that. Definitely. Normally that is not a trained dog because a trained dog is, is extremely socialized. They're very well mannered in public situations. Um, so the veteran has to socialize their own dog. So th- what we're doing is taking somebody who's been isolating for a long time, probably, and now they have to start to stepping out into public places. And so they begin to get more back into society and start stepping back into places where they normally would not be, but because they have to socialize the dog, it brings them into those places. Is there a time frame for that, Frank? I mean, do you give them a certain amount of time to get involved with the puppy? Or if, if, if it's six months down the road and it's not working, it's not going to work? Yes. We uh, we actually start the socialization at a very young age. The The prime time to socialize a puppy is 8 to 12 weeks old. So this is a really important time in their life that they really need to be in different places. But for the veteran, what we have to do is take it. We call it baby steps. Because the the veteran also has problems of being in public places, and so we want to make sure that they're able to go into these places too. So we start about at uh, you know at different stores where there's not a lot of activity where they can go in and start you know just start going into different places, and then we build from that. Wow, that sounds interesting. Is there a certain breed of dog that works better than others? Now, Bo here, Bo, what is Bo? Bo is an English Golden Retriever. Beautiful dog, but Thank you. is there a certain breed that's better than others for the veteran to train with? We actually like the English Golden because of their temperament. Um, I use the term squirrely dog. Squirrely dogs are, are <laughs> just dogs that, you know, are just so hyper that you can't deal with them. Veterans with PTSD cannot deal with them either. So we look for temperaments that are very mild and calm dogs because it's easier for the veteran to deal with. And having a puppy actually is probably some of the hardest things that they do in this whole process because the dog has to learn along the way too. And so the puppy's learning at the same time the veteran is learning. So they are learning together. And uh, sometimes a puppy can be a puppy. Oh, and so it becomes yeah, a little well, bit of an issue. Well, yeah. We've all been there. If you've had any kind of a dog in your house, exactly. you know it. That process is tough alone. Let it, a veteran with PTSD trying to overcome that problem. Yeah. we. So what we look for is we look for the temperament. We do buy from breeders. Um, unfortunately, um, we don't take rescue dogs because rescue dogs can have post-traumatic stress just like a human can. Really? Yes. Um, and so you never know what could trigger the dog in that situation. Um, let's say that the dog is the mother is feral. If the mother's feral, those hormones are going to transfer over to the puppies. And so the puppies will have the same feral tendencies that the mother had. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why we don't, because it makes it a little bit more difficult to train in those situations. So we want a dog that's trainable, that's loving and wants to, wants to learn and wants to, to please you. Well, does the veteran get a chance to pick a dog, or you pick the dog for the veteran? We pick the dog in most cases. Now, if a veteran buys their own dog, and it's it's not a dangerous breed, unfortunately, we don't take dangerous breeds either because um, pit bulls actually are very good dogs. They're very sweet dogs, but unfortunately, they carry a really bad reputation yeah, in the public. Do. Yeah, And all the veterans are going to do is get hassled every time they go somewhere because it is a dangerous breed. So we try to stay away from those breeds as much as possible. Um, 
if the veteran purchases their own dog, though, we will bring it into our program just like one of our own. But you do most of the purchasing. You buy the puppy, and it's more than just buying the puppy. Do you take care of the health situation, shots? How does that all work? Because we it's handle, all important yes, stuff. We handle all that. We take care of it. We um, we provide them a veterinary health care assistance uh, up to $500. We have a veterinarian that works with us here in Denver that provides us all the, all the puppy vaccinations and uh, spay and neutering, which can be very expensive. Oh, yeah. And uh, so they handle all that for us. We pay for all the training. We have our own training program now. When we first started, we were using um, retail trainers. And what we found is that that they don't really understand service dogs and the need for the training of a service dog because it's okay that a dog can roll over and play dead, but um, our dogs need to be trained to a higher level. Sure they do. So. How do you pick that? I mean, how do, how do you match that veteran up? I mean, a veteran wants to be involved with the program, and we'll talk about how veterans can get involved with the program. Do you sit down and talk to them ahead of time? Oh, absolutely. And, we yeah. we interview them before we make them a candidate. So they have to they have to go through a questionnaire process, and then we sit down and interview with them. Um, we want to make sure that they are going to be a good match for the dog. Um, but what we look for is, in a lot of cases, Murphy, what we do is when we get our puppies – we actually like to let the puppy pick the veteran. Oh, so interesting. what I, we do is say yeah. if we have a veteran and we have three puppies, so the first veteran will come in, we'll sit them in the middle of the floor, and everybody will just back off and let all three of the puppies go with that one veteran. And generally what you will find is one puppy will keep coming back to that individual. Interesting. And so we and, – and it's amazing because if the puppy picks the veteran – it's an amazing bond that takes place. And the veteran's probably happy about oh, that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously, this dog thinks he's pretty cool, and the dog's hooking on exactly. to Exactly. And, and so if we have the opportunity, that's what we like to do. Uh, unfortunately, there are times that we don't have the opportunity. Like, um, we've got uh, three puppies coming in the next couple of weeks, and our very first long-distance veteran, who is a female veteran down in Durango, uh, is getting one of these puppies. And so, unfortunately, she can't get up to Denver until after the puppy pickup day. So the first two puppies will already have been chosen. So she gets the third puppy. But, you know, still, that puppy's going to love her. Just it's going to be phenomenal. Right. And what kind of breeders do you deal with? I mean, they have to be more specialized themselves, right? We look for our, our breeders. We look for our they, – they really have to look at the dogs. And, and the, they typically AKC breeders are – really good breeders but what we look for is breeders that look into the lineage of the dog because they have to have the hips certified for hip dysplasia um and heart and the eyes and so we want to make sure that they do these these checks so the possibility of us getting a bad dog is lower and the risk is lower in that case and that's important obviously. absolutely because if you got a veteran who bonds and we've had this happen we had a veteran, a female veteran, who bonded with her puppy, and puppy was 10 minutes old and then was um, diagnosed with severe hip dysplasia. Oh. And, I mean, she was just crushed. So what we did is we just told her, go ahead and keep the puppy as as a pet, and then we replaced the herd puppy with another service dog pup candidate. So. Well, she had her hands full then. Oh, yes, <laughs> she did. But, you know, um, it really worked out very well for her. Um, because if we had had to take the puppy, 
or something like that, it would have been devastating for her. Oh, and, for sure. And it was just something that we felt you know necessary that we'll just replace the dog. Good move on your part. We're talking with Frank Griggs. Now, Frank is an eight-year U.S. Marine Corps veteran. He served two tours of duty in Vietnam. And Frank is now the founder and CEO of Veterans Puppy for Life Organization. And what they do is they place, as you've heard the discussion here, they place puppies with U.S. Armed Force veterans living with post-traumatic stress disorder and a very successful. So, Frank, there's probably some veterans or people that know veterans that are sitting out there. Well, how? How do we get involved? How can I be involved with this program? Well, we'd love to have people be involved with us. We, uh, The first thing is that we want to do is have people know about our program and be able to talk to veterans who they think have a need. Um, and most people can tell if there's a problem. And unfortunately, veterans that have PTSD or most people that have PTSD are not really willing to talk about it. Oh, of course So not. they don't open up. And so it's it's not until the person is ready to get help that we can help them. So, you know, it's it, what we want them to do is help somebody recognize that they might have a problem and they need to be in treatment. We want them to be in treatment because our puppies are not substitutes for treatment. They're in addition to. To the treatment. Right. So how do they reach out to you? They can reach us online. They can reach us uh, by calling me on my on the phone number that's on our website. Um, they can send us an email, call us. Um, but normally we get, Murphy, we get a lot of our referrals from clinicians who know that this person needs help. And so they refer the veteran, or and in our case, the veteran to us. And then we bring them in and talk with them. Are these docs that work with the VA? Yes. And so uh, they know about you and they can tell by working with this particular veteran that your organization could really help them. Exactly. And and not just the VA, but we, we do have some private individuals that refer people to us as well. Um, so like our, our veteran down in Durango, it was the VA that we got in contact with down there and then they, they recommended her to us. Give us your website so people It's www. Vet puppy for for life dot org. Vet puppy for life dot org. And there's a lot of questions there that can be answered if you. There is a, there is a a page just for if somebody's interested in what they need to do. So the main requirement is they have to be in treatment. They have to re, they have to stay in treatment during the program, because without doing that, it's not going to work. Do you get involved with that personally yourself? Or do you kind of turn that over to the pros? Well, you are a pro, though. You're a trainer. Yeah, I am a trainer, and I, I do train. Um, we have three trainers, and uh, all three of us, I like to say, we're very good at what we do. <laughs> well, you must be. Um, we, have, we have a different training philosophy than a lot of other dog training programs because we are bond-based, meaning that we don't use any fear-based tactics. I'm a big believer that if you use fear-based tactics – the dog will not respond because of fear. And we want the dog, and we call it willful disobedience. We want the dog to be able to respond when necessary. And so these are natural instincts that the dog will have, and that's in that bonding process, Murphy, that we go through. The dog will instinctively start reacting to the person's situational changes. And so we take that, and then we build a trained behavior from that. So you talk mentioned just now that the dog reacts to whatever situation they might be in with the veteran. Correct. I mean, could it be a, a scary situation? Could it be a situation where there's a lot of people and the veteran's kind of standoffish? Does the dog kind of urge the veteran to, hey, come on, let's meet some people? They can. Well, no, they can actually pull them out of the way. Really? Um, 
Bo is trained to block for me, and blocking is where the dog comes and lays down in front of you or stands in front of you, and what he does is he builds a wall between you and anybody else coming in between you. Um, I was at an event where I was being crowded in. There must have been. It was we were outside waiting to get in because we were having a, a an event there sure. and, at the booth. Sure. And so I was waiting for somebody to come get me and bring me in. Yeah. And all these people were pressing in on us, and Bo automatically just came and stood in front of me. Give you that little space. Exactly. And that's why we we wow. teach them. That we take these instinctive behaviors that they have, and we just build from those and make them train behaviors. Um, we've had two dogs that we instinctively took the seizure alerting. The dogs knew that the person was going into a seizure. Ahead of time. Ahead of time. Could sense that. And the veterans were getting upset at the dog because it was misbehaving. And it wasn't misbehaving. It was trying to tell the veteran, you're going to have something happen here, and I need to tell you. Wow. So uh, what we do is at that point in time is we start teaching the veteran they need to thank their dog and say, yes, thank you. Thank you for telling me. Because the dog is giving them now time to take action instead of just having an emergency. Exactly. Well, that's incredible. That's incredible training. Well, it's, it's, it's the instinctive nature of the dog. They just know. Um, that's why that bonding process is so important because yeah. – if there is any change, the dog automatically knows because they've been with them and they're so close to them, they can tell immediately when there's any type of situation like that. It's a great thing you're doing there, Frank. Thank and, of you, course, uh, it takes money. Yes, it does. Uh, how are you funded or what happens? How do you raise your funds? These dogs cannot be cheap. The training process has got to be pricey. It is. It is expensive. It costs us around $3,500 a dog. Well, that's not too bad. No, that's it's not. not yeah, no. I actually thought it might be more than that. Well, it's because, you know, we don't charge the veteran anything for that, and our our trainers understand our program and appreciate what we're doing. And so they they kind of, I think, give us a benefit of what you're doing. Of what you're doing. I don't yeah. charge the I don't charge for my training purposes. So um everything I do is is gratis. I don't I don't do anything for feet. I just never felt right doing that. So Well that's great of but it. uh it costs us about $3,500 a dog. The dog is the most expensive part of the entire program. Um, they can cost us anywhere from eighteen to twenty-five to almost $3,000 a dog. So that's our biggest expense. And right now we do have a grant, but we, need, we do have expenses that come up. Right now we've got one uh, female veteran whose dog is probably going to need surgery, and that's an expense that she's not right. going to be able to handle. So we're going to have to help her pick that up. So those expenses, you know, the only way we operate is through donations and by our grant. Really? You need some help with that? Absolutely. You can use help all the time. Well, how do people make donations? They Go can to your make website? Donation. They can make donations on our website. We can do monthly recurring donations, or they can just do a one-time donation. Um, they can do a benefactor donation, or they can do a, a memorial donation. So, um, you know, we just we, – we have done – a lot in in three years, and I'm not bragging about that. I, you know, no, 31 dogs out there already yeah. with veterans in three years. I'd say you've done a heck of a lot, and it does cost money. And that's that's, you know, I do sometimes wake up at night and say, okay, we need some funds. Yeah, um, yeah. and you know, they always help. They always help. Does the vet have any charge? You don't charge the vet. We anything. don't charge the veteran for anything. Now they do have to 
after the $500 healthcare assistance, then they have to take over at that point in time. But in most cases, a lot of our veterans will handle their own dog's healthcare, and so we can apply theirs to somebody else. Oh, that's a great thing. It is. That's a good thing. And so if they know they can handle it, they won't They won't let us do it, which is nice. Right, right. So I understand you're asking the Colorado State Legislature to create some requirements for service dog training organizations. Kind of explain that and what's going on. Sure, and thanks for asking that. You know, it's um, we all know that there are fake service dogs out there. You know, you see them. Oh, you hear about that a lot. You see them in the airplanes and everything else. And so... Um, what most people don't see are the consequences of these these situations where there is a fake dog. What it does is it takes the person who has a disability and who has a real need for a service dog, and it creates more of a stressful situation for them because businesses who are not really trained on ADA requirements and what they can ask and what they can't ask, you know, um, in those situations it causes that person more stress because the businesses now start pressing harder on trying to find out if it is a real service dog. And so it causes the people that have known issues more problems. I have a young female veteran uh, up in Fort Collins who will not even come out of her house now because she was so embarrassed at a restaurant. And so now I'm working with her to try and get her back into, you know, coming back out of the house again. Um, And it's because, you know, it's because of that situation. So what we're asking the state is to certify service dog training organizations. And even those that operate within Colorado or if they operate as a registration service for service dogs in Colorado, they have to be certified by the state of Colorado, either by the state itself or by a separate um, trade authority of some sort sure. set up for that purpose. And so what we're asking is that they have to meet five requirements. And the five requirements are basically all of the programs that are out there right now are doing these anyway. So for most of the organizations, this will not be a problem for them at all, other than it's now a requirement by It'll the It'll be government. a requirement by exactly. the state, yeah. But other than that, they're already doing these things. So um, the first one would be is that they, they have to socialize the dog. There has to be a socialization program built into their program. And as I said, a service dog has to be highly socialized. The second one is it must contain basic canine training, which they all do. Sure. Sure they do. Yeah. And the third one is there has to be a certification process for the canine training so that we can make sure that the dog is certified with the basic commands. Uh, there is a national standard that uh, test that's done by AKC that everybody uses what we're stating is is that they could use that as a standard or if the service dog organization builds their own standard greater than that, then that can be recognized Good. as well. And we actually are moving in that direction because we, we feel that, again, a service dog has to be set higher sure, standards. Sure, sure. Um, the next thing would be the AD, ADA task-specific training. So if they're a diabetic alert dog, they have to incorporate that into their program. Well, that makes sense. Caesar dogs. Are, yeah. And, and like I said, all the organizations that are truly doing this right now, are, they're all doing this right now anyway. And the last one would be a public access test. And again, this would be set to the standard of what um, therapy dogs have a really high standard because they're in public places. So we would want them to have at least that standard. And then, again, if the organization wants to create their own at a higher standard, they could at that point in time. So how's that going with the legislature? 
Well, we're working on it. Yeah, I'm sure it's <laughs> we're tough. We're working on it. Well, you know, um, this is something new, and there's a lot of lot of there's a lot of stakeholders and and players involved in this thing. So, um, we're at the very beginning, and what I found is that by talking to legislators last year, is you have to start early. Sure. Because if you if you start when the legislator comes into play, you're already behind. The yeah, game. you got to have the groundwork down exactly. before they get into the game. So what we're trying to convince people is that this is not affecting. Um, the individuals who self-train their dogs. Um, Colorado allows people to self-train their dogs. A service dog in training has the same access as a service dog does in the state Mm -hmm. of Colorado. So they can go to the same places that a service dog can. Um, What we want to see is that the organizations would start issuing cards saying that this is a service dog in training or this is a, a, a service dog that once has graduated their program and then it is a state certified program. And what this does, Murphy, is this allows the businesses to start seeing the difference between a trained dog and a fake dog. And so they can start understanding that there is a difference. There is a difference. And yeah. so uh, it will give them the better ability to, you know. Sure. And then the person who has disability can feel a little bit more comfortable about going into public situations sure. and not. Being embarrassed. Exactly. And yeah. you, you know it is. I've been challenged several times. Yeah, and I mean, Bo you. is just Especially so Bo. rambunctious. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, He's yeah. just horribly. <laughs> <laughs> it's pitiful. Well, Frank, keep up the good work. Again, let's back up a little bit. Let's give the folks the website where they can reach out okay. veterans that want help, if they want to make a donation uh, to help what you're doing with all these uh, post-traumatic stress disorder veterans. What okay. do we do? What do they we can, need to do? They can reach us at www.vetpuppyforlife.org. So Vet Puppy for Life, then it's F-O-R, life.org. They can also call me if they wish at 303-946-3321. What is that, your personal cell phone number? Pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. We don't have a landline. But, uh, you know, I I answer the phone all the time. So, Well, that's great. Well, Frank. Congratulations on your success in just three years. Thank you. That's that's a wonderful thing. It's Frank Griggs, uh, who's the uh, founder and CEO of Veterans Puppy for Life organization, and we appreciate you coming in today. Thank you, Murphy. I appreciate having me. Yeah, good luck. Continued success for our veterans. Boy, they sure need it. And thank you guys for listening today. It's Mile High Magazine, and we will all be back next week together.